welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks so much. Great to be uh, with you this morning. And um, yeah, we're continuing our uh, Advent series, Love Came Down. So if you've got a Bible and you want to flick it open uh, to Isaiah 9, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, And I don't know if it's a coincidence. I don't know if any of you are doing the devotional that we're doing as a church during Advent. But actually, today's passage in the... uh, in the devotional is also Isaiah 9, so maybe God's trying to tell us something uh, this morning. Now, all of us have a name, hopefully, and uh, maybe you know what your name means. Maybe it's quite a significant name in your family. Maybe your parents gave you that name because the meaning is uh, something that they wanted to speak over you uh, for your life. Maybe turn to the person next to you, or if you're online, uh, write in the chat what, your, what you think your name means. And if you don't know, this is your 30 seconds to quickly Google what your name means and tell the person next to you. So turn to the person next to you, tell them what your name means. Okay, so as I said, um, my name is Aaron, and that's spelt with two A's, so A-A-R-O-N. And um, I often have this conversation with my parents about why they chose the name that I have. And I have a theory that my parents, when they were found out that I was a boy, they basically got the book of names, opened it out, looked at the boys' names, went A-A-R-O-N, that's the first name, that'll do, right, let's go and get a cup of tea. And they're going off. That's that's my theory. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but that's my theory. Um, Today, as I said, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 9, and we're going to look at the famous passage that is often used around Christmas, and uh, these, uh, this passage, in particular in verse 6, speaks about the names given about Jesus the Messiah. So we're going to read uh, Isaiah 9 together, and then we're going to focus specifically on verses 6 and, uh, and beyond. So it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the, and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of all of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be, dis- will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For, uh, for to us a child is given. To us, sorry, for us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning, the four descriptions of Jesus. Wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we're going to be focusing on verse 6 this morning. But before we get stuck in, I want to set the scene a little bit because Um, There are some theories around this passage. Now, the book of Isaiah speaks to people living in three different periods. 
before the Babylonian exile, during the Babylonian exile, and after. And chapter 9 is specifically speaking to the, the people in southern Israel known as Judah. And this is before the exile. Now, Judah is coming under a lot of pressure from, uh, from Israel and Syria to form a coalition to fight against Assyria. Hope you're following. The king, that's Ahaz, I know you knew that, is afraid to go against Assyria. So he sends a king's ransom to Assyria asking for help. Now, Isaiah is speaking directly into a situation where Judah felt powerless and they were afraid of the rulers to the north of their country. Their enemies gained strength and tightened their grip, and Judah didn't know if God was with them or against them. And among all these other prophecies, Isaiah includes two prophetic visions of a child who represents God's presence, embodies his characteristics, and bears the responsibility of governing his people. In chapter 7, Isaiah prophesied this birth of this child whose name would signify the presence of God. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And this prophecy in seven chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 14 to 16, is an insurance that by the time the child is grown, Assyria and Syria will be defeated, thus giving encouragement that God is for Judah. Now, many people in Judah would have probably thought that this prophecy was going to be about Ahaz's son, the future king, King Hezekiah. But as we see in chapters 38 and 39, and I'll let you read those for yourself, Hezekiah died as a grown man while the Israelites were still in captivity. And really, he only turned to prayer on his deathbed. So as we read this prophecy, with, with, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born, we know that it's not about Hezekiah, it's about the coming Messiah. And in John's gospel, we read this prophecy being fulfilled when we read in John 1, 14, the word became flesh, 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 <clears throat> and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The king being prophesied about here is the one that will live forever the only one who could rightfully hold God's titles. Now, we've got this background of the passage. I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning looking at these four names that describe Jesus and how they will bring us comfort, how they do bring us comfort in a time and in a world where so many things are, are seeking to rob us of that. So they are wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince, of peace. So firstly, wonderful counsellor. Now, being called wonderful is quite a nice description, right? Maybe uh, you've been to someone's house or you've been to a party and said, it was a wonderful time. Maybe you went to a wedding and you said the setting was wonderful for that wedding. Well, the word here describing Jesus as wonderful goes beyond our, our kind of limited version of what we use the word for. In Hebrew, wonderful means a miracle, a marvel, a wonder, it, in, it, um, it in indicates something that's extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. And counsellor means to advise or counsel or have purpose. The Messiah will cause us to be full of wonder. So how does the fact that Jesus is called a wonderful counsellor bring us comfort today? Well, I think firstly, we have to look at what, brings, what we put 
our time and effort into to bring us comfort. My bet is that whatever has just popped into your head, whether that's money or stuff, relationships, achievements, sport, food and addiction, will not bring you long-term comfort. It will not bring you the comfort that this child, Jesus, the Messiah, will. Jesus is as much a wonderful counsellor today as he was when he was born 2,000 years ago. He gives us the strength to take action. In his grace and mercy, Jesus tells us what action that we need to take in all situations through the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading. And he gives us the strength to do it. This action might be difficult, costly or risky, but because Jesus is our wonderful counsellor, he knows what is best for us. He, has, he knows us better than we do. And if you're like me, you need to be reminded of that fairly often. He knows all things. Now, professional therapists and friends and families, whilst helpful, are human. They don't have all the answers. They don't know all about you, even though you might uh, say or share quite a lot. They don't know the inner depths of who you are. Only Jesus, our loving counsellor, knows this. And we have access to this wonderful counsellor. With God's help, we can step out and make decisions wherever and whenever he leads. We can walk with confidence that he always has our best intentions at heart. And the good thing is Jesus doesn't have office hours. He's not closed over the Christmas holidays. And we might have the best therapist or the best friends. And again, they do play an important part. But there are times when we can't talk to them. We might have to arrange a time to call them or meet them for a coffee. We might have to book an appointment to see them that's in X amount of weeks' time. But that's not the case with Jesus. He's available to us all the time. He's available to, to speak to when we're needing wisdom in a conversation with someone. When we need our own counsel. Whenever we call, whenever we ask, he's there and promises to meet us. So maybe today it's been a while since you've had some time with Jesus and God right here right now is prompting you to say here I am I see what you're going through come to me get some rest receive from me your wonderful counsellor because we are comforted by him because we know that he has faced everything that we face right now Jesus is so kind he wants to serve us he knows the plan and he's got the power and the strength to bring about what that plan is. So if you want counsel, he's right there. Maybe you need to start making regular appointments with our wonderful counsellor. So how does Jesus bring, being the wonderful counsellor, change your thinking about him? And who in your world might need to hear this good news today? Secondly, mighty God. Now, this description about Jesus goes beyond Jesus' human existence. Now, we might be able to recognise as a wonderful counsellor. Yeah, yeah, he said some good things. He had lived a good life. But mighty God, how does that even work? Well, Tim Keller says in his book, Hidden Christmas, that it is remarkable that these four titles that we're looking at this morning were all applied to God alone, which means that Jesus is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father, meaning he is the creator, and yet he is born as a baby. So this means that Jesus was not only 100% human, 
He was also 100% God, which blows my mind. He came to earth as a baby. Now think about how humiliating that must have been. Jesus had to have his bottom wiped. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. And yet in all of this, he is still the mighty God. He is still the creator. And humble, the word humble doesn't come anywhere close to describing what Jesus did. We should be, as Keller goes on to say in his book, dumbstruck, lost in wonder, of, uh, lost in wonder, love and praise. So if Jesus is described as the mighty God, if he uh, was there at the creation of the world, if we are made in his image, if all of this is created for him and by him, then we can't just sit there and like him. If Jesus is our mighty God, we need to be willing to serve him completely with all that we have. He is the mighty God, and yet he came down to earth. Why? Well, Keller states, it's to know our darkness. He came to save us. He came to be God's light to this world, to show us what God is really like, what his character is like, how he loves us, um, how he cares deeply about justice, how he cares deeply about accepting people. But also he came to show us that we can walk away from him if we aren't aware of that. Jesus ultimately came to save us, to repair the damage that our disobedience has done so that we can have this restored relationship with our Father God. He did it all voluntarily, freely out of his immense love for you. So how does this bring you comfort? Well, it brings us comfort because he knows us, and yet he is the mighty creator. Just think about that for a second. He's the mighty creator, and yet he accepts and loves us. It brings us comfort because no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven through Jesus' death if we choose to accept him as our Lord and Saviour. And not only did Jesus defeat death, he was resurrected so that we can have this eternal hope and future with him now and forever. We get comfort that he is with us, that this life isn't the end. It's merely the beginning of an eternal life with our Father God. So how about, uh, so how uh, does this change your view of Jesus? Again, who needs to hear that good news in your life? The world needs this hope and comfort right now, doesn't it? It needs to hear that life, this life isn't it, that there's more. That we have a God who created the world and yet came as a baby to save us. Thirdly, everlasting father. So some of you will know that myself and my wife have just had our second child. And having two girls is a joy and yet at the same time also a challenge. All of a sudden, you're not playing two on one, you're playing uh, one to one defence. Okay, we're not having a third because that would be zonal. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, all of a sudden you have two children who want and need your attention, who need help with stuff, who may occasionally need your wisdom and guidance. And whilst your heart is full of love for them both equally at the same time. The thing is, I'm not going to be everything for my daughters that they're going to need because I'm fallible. I'm a sinner. I'm selfish. And sometimes it's just too hard. And maybe for you this morning, your experience of your earthly father wasn't a good one. Maybe it was okay. Or maybe 
For some of you, your father, your earthly father, was amazing. And I think when it comes to looking at Jesus as our everlasting father, it can bring with it the baggage of our experience, whether that's positive or negative, and we place it on Jesus. We place our assumptions, our expectations, and our emotions fully square on him because of our own experience of our own earthly father. Under Jesus' care, protection, and provision, I want to tell you this morning that you are safe and you will be satisfied for all eternity. So if Isaiah here isn't confusing Jesus the Messiah with God the Father, how can Jesus be our everlasting Father? Well, the word in Isaiah of the coming Messiah here, being the everlasting Father, is actually described as one commentator as a descriptive analogy of Christ's character, that he is fatherly and fatherlike in his treatment of each of us. But unlike our earthly fathers, he is perfect in all of this. Isaiah here is also highlighted again, along with the description of Jesus being the mighty God, the divine nature of Jesus. Remember, it will be another 700 years from when this prophecy was written to when Jesus was born. Yet Isaiah is stating without question that Jesus is the author of eternity. Jesus is the one who perfectly reveals to us the father heart of God. As Paul writes in Colossians, the son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, we often sing a worship song here called Good, Good Father, and in it there's two lines. One says, you're a good, good father, that's who you are. And the other one says, you are perfect in all of your ways. Now, whilst this song I think is directed at God the Father, Jesus depicts all of these characteristics of the Father in his life, in his ministry, and continues to do so to each of us today. Jesus is the perfect Father. He opens the way for us to experience what the Father's heart is like. He takes away our sin, our shame, our guilt, and he forgives you and I for every mistake that we make. And unlike me, sometimes he doesn't hold on to them. Now, we might have dreamed or hoped our earthly father could have been someone or done certain things, but they didn't. And everything you've ever wanted from your earthly father is there before you in Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He loves his flock. He loves you to the point where he laid down his life for you. Finally, he's our everlasting father because once we accept Jesus' invitation to trust and follow him, there's no more goodbyes. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, not even death. There may be pain, disappointment in your earthly father, or maybe you're grieving today the loss of your earthly father. And whilst all these feelings are important, in all of it, we know that we can, be tr we can trust and be safe in the arms of our everlasting Father. So how does this view of Jesus being your everlasting Father change the way you think about him today? And again, who in your world needs this knowledge of comfort that their Saviour is their everlasting Father? Finally, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
And uh, peace is maybe more of a rarity these days for some of us. War, war, the effects of climate change, violent injustice, addictions, relationship breakdown, and the pressure of money are just a few things that are trying to rob so many people of peace. And I wonder what you think of when you think of peace. Maybe you think of sitting on a beach, drinking a pina colada, watching the sunset. Maybe peace for you is an orderly house, that everything's away in its rightful place. Or maybe you just want 10 minutes of quiet to yourself. Well, the peace that Jesus brings is much more than we can ever experience in any of those things. The physical and political harmony doesn't necessarily reflect the kind of peace that Isaiah is talking about. Because the Hebrew word for, used for peace here is a word called shalom. And this is more than about being quiet or restful. Shalom is the restoration and right order of everything. And ultimately the restoration and right relationship with God. We all need it. For, for this, from this we can live in peace with God and creation. The Bible says that we've all fallen short when it comes to living God's way. We're all rebels, rebels to God, to others and ourselves. You see, we cannot earn God's favour or forgiveness no matter how hard we try, no matter how many good deeds we do. And God knew this. That's why he sent Jesus. He became flesh and came to earth to offer his life as a ransom for many. In this sacrifice, we now have the chance to live in this restored relationship with God the Father. And on accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, we are then at peace with God, each other and ourselves. Jesus then becomes the uh, mediator and intercessor to God that all who believe in him can, can continue to live in his peace. This peace brings us to a place where our life makes sense, where we have order and balance. We live with gratitude. He lives, uh, sorry, he brings us to a place of rest where we can be confident in who we are in him not through status or relationships or stuff. Our life becomes one where we find complete fulfillment. We choose to follow his, his way and his plan for our lives. We serve him and his kingdom. And from this, we can then bring our burdens, our anxieties, worries, doubts and fears and exchange them for his peace. In 1 John 4, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is made perfect in love. And in Philippians 4, it says, Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding, the shalom of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, he brings us the peace uh, of what is to come, the assurance of salvation, the assurance of eternal life that's free of evil, sin, sickness and death. In Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, all of us have the choice to accept Jesus into our hearts. Jesus is able to give you that true peace that no one else or nothing else can offer. How, <clears throat> how uh, is Jesus, our Prince of Peace, changing your view of him today? Maybe you live in that peace and maybe Jesus is inviting you this morning to take that peace, to become a peacemaker somewhere this week or this year. Who else in your world needs to hear that Jesus is the Prince of Peace?
Quickly going back to the Isaiah passage, in verse 2, it talks about people walking in darkness. And I want to just say that when Jesus comes into our lives and into our hearts, we experience his light, that we no longer walk in darkness, but we walk in the light of Christ. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So today, maybe some of you want to accept Jesus for the first time in your heart and walk in his light so that he will be your Prince of Peace, your everlasting Father, your mighty God, your wonderful Counselor. And we're going to give you a a chance to respond in that way shortly. But for others of us this week and over Advent, we maybe want to spend more time dwelling on these descriptions of who Jesus is. Just to end, I want to end with this quote. Look at Jesus as the wonderful counsellor. He has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. And as the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. So what has God shown you about Jesus' uh, uh, descriptions today? How is he inviting you to respond to him? How are we going to share this good news of Jesus to the people that need to hear it? Next week, as Amy and Paul said, is our carol service. A great opportunity, an easy invite. So take some invites today and ask God who he wants you to invite this week. So as we come to respond, why don't we, if you can, stand with me. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us this morning. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.